You are listening to the Nirvana Podcast, Season 2, Episode 9, The Live Albums. Hello everybody and welcome to the Nirvana Podcast. My name is Sietse. And I'm Jiritja. And I'm very happy that you're back because last time you weren't on the show and I had to do it all by my lonely self. Yeah, that was your own choice, so don't pin it on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of true. But uh, no, I'm, I'm really glad that you're, uh, that you're back. Uh, and today we are going to discuss Nirvana's live albums. Yes. We are only going to focus on officially released albums. I think I have like maybe a hundred on a hard disk somewhere, <laughs> all illegal bootleg recordings. But uh, no, that, that would be too much. That's season three. <laughs> That's season three, which will... Never happen, no. No. <laughs> We've pulled some interesting moments from those uh, recordings uh, every now and then. But uh, like I said, today we are going to focus on the officially released uh, Nirvana live albums. Anything you want to share before we get started? Yeah, I want to share something. I was thinking about how I have been um, being a bit um, <laughs> derogative about on a plane. Mm. And... When I was listening to your Beatles podcast last week, I realized that I actually have to apologize to Kurt Cobain um, because I felt like a bit of a hypocrite. Because I realized that one of my favorite songs ever has like a rhyme in it that is <laughs> just as bad or even worse than I'm on a plane, I can't complain. So... What is it? Uh, well, it's it's a Beatles song, so... What's like the, the the worst the worst rhyming line in a Beatles song? I I don't know. I have like a brain freeze. And <laughs> I was just seventeen. You know what I mean? Okay, that's bad as well. But and that was actually an improvement because originally uh, Paul McCartney had written uh, she was just seventeen something something beauty queen, and then Ooh. John Lennon stepped in and said, "No, you know what I mean. It's way better." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a great anecdote. What what is it? I was referring to the line, um, I look at the floor and I see it needs sweeping. Where sweeping rhymes with weeping. Yeah. Which is horrible. But it's one of my favorite songs ever. So I was like, okay, I I have to be honest and and stop complaining about I'm on a plane. Just to defend George Harrison a little bit. He only used the rhyme once uh, and not in the in the chorus. So yeah, <laughs> totally maybe, true. Maybe, maybe that's the difference. But uh, we probably have listeners that really like on a plane and were a bit uh, annoyed by your uh, complaints about the line about the complaining. Exactly. So that was why I thought, well, I have to own up and just say sorry. That was uh, a bit too much. That being said, uh, let's get into uh, the first uh, live album from the Muddy Banks of the Wishka. And that's an album with like an interesting backstory, I think. Yep. Original idea was... <laughs> I don't know how much of that I can edit out, but uh, for people listening, uh, my daughter is uh, not sleeping at the moment. Um, <laughs> and she's supposed to sleep and she does not agree with us. Uh, maybe she'll pop up uh, every now and then during this episode. <laughs> Instead of while my guitar gently weeps, it's uh, kind of like uh, while my daughter uh, 
loudly weeps, something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good lyric. <laughs> anyway, what I was trying to say is that uh, from the Muddy Banks uh, of the Wishka was supposed to be released uh, together with the MTV Unplugged session. So yeah. it would be like a, a two-disc release with uh, the entire Unplugged uh, performance and a selection of live performances. But then um, Dave Grohl and Chris Novoselic, I think they said that it was emotionally too hard on them to go through all those recordings with Kurt uh, after he died. So they needed a bit more time to make that selection. Uh, I think the record company really wanted to do a Nirvana release. And that's why Unplugged in New York was a standalone release. And it was later followed by uh, From the Muddy Banks of the Wishka. I think that's a fine choice. Uh, maybe it would be a bit of a shame to release them as a two-parter. I think especially in the form that the Muddy Banks of Wishka has, because the MTV show is one performance where oh. the Muddy Banks of Wishka is even though it's mixed as if it's one show, it is uh, from different shows. So that feels slightly different. I think it would have been weird to, to combine those two. I think you're right. They don't really fit together that well. No. Maybe they would have made it fit, but I'm not really sure how. So no, no. I think it's fine uh, the way it came out. And actually, we shouldn't analyze uh, this because uh, Chris uh, wrote in his liner notes uh Something like uh, stop the analyzing, just uh, crank up uh, this album, something like that. Yep. So uh, yeah, let's uh, try not to overanalyze it, but just uh, but just listen to it. Uh, like you said, it's a compilation of several uh, live performances uh, from I think 1989 up to 1994. So it's quite a long uh, time span, and um, this is how it starts. Yeah, this was uh, recorded uh, on December 3rd, 1989. You specifically requested uh, this uh, introduction? Why did you put it on the list? Because it's so weird. Um, and I don't mean like the sound is weird, because obviously. But I find it interesting that this was recorded during a uh, sound check. So it's not officially part of the live performance. The whole album is uh, released and mixed as if it was one big performance. Um, and that's something you can you can discuss whether that's a good idea or not, I think. In, in my opinion, at least, it sort of it feels as one thing, which is nice and a bit weird. <laughs> Especially this this intro. It's also called intro <laughs> on the CD because it's called intro. You start with it. It it's like as if Nirvana started their shows like this, which isn't true. But if you didn't know about this being a rehearsal and and sound check and and whatever, and you could think that. Which I've always found a really strange choice, I guess. I can imagine that it puts off some people because you don't hear an audience roar, which is something that you would expect from a, from a live album. But uh, yeah, I, I always kind of liked it. 
maybe they should have titled it uh, Soundcheck or something like that. Yeah. But the reason that I liked it is that it was something new because this was the first time for me as a Nirvana fan that something new was released. Mm -hmm. Because when I got into Nirvana, um, yeah, Kurt had already passed. The Unplugged session was already uh, released and uh, I knew that uh, very well, of course. So this was for me like the first time, oh, something new is coming out. And this sounds like something new. I mean, I had never heard this like most people. Uh, the rest of the album, they're all songs that I know. I mean, not specifically these versions, but they are all pretty well-known Nirvana songs. I think that's also something that uh, a lot of people criticized when this uh, album was released. The fact that it was filled with well-known songs, sometimes from also in bootleg versions, well-known performances, um, and not a lot of new or weird stuff on there. I know that it's like the fourth side of the LP version that has like more stage banter and stuff like yeah. that. But to be honest, I've not never heard that, so I don't I don't know. I mean parts of it, but not the whole the whole thing. So uh, yeah, it's basically just just five minutes of stuff that they said and that happened in between songs. Right. I I don't mind hearing those comments, but it's just a bit strange to have them back to back. Yeah, exactly. I get why they wanted to have like a, a bonus track or whatever, yeah. but this just makes yeah, it's just a bit weird. Um, yeah, yeah. I have it lined up so you hear stuff like. Spent all my life trying to stay away from sports, and here I am in a sporting arena. The song is dedicated to Frank Zappa and, um, and River Phoenix, Fred Gwynn, who played Herman Munster, Dixie Lee Ray, Thomas P. Tip O'Neill, and you dumbass who just threw water on me. And that, that, that that's just yeah. the whole track. It's it's almost six minutes of this. Uh, and then you don't get to hear what song is dedicated to those people, apparently. <laughs> it's so it's so weird. I mean, that's a discussion that is often had about live albums. When you take out all of the, the in-between banter, people are not happy because they want to hear that especially. And I know, especially with the Nirvana live albums, that often it it was taken out and people were annoyed by that. I mean, nowadays with Spotify and and stuff like that, it's easier, but especially back then, when you have a CD and you have like, (laughs) every song has that sort of intro or whatever, or long pauses in between, that can be really annoying as well, especially if, if it's not separate tracks, but if it's always the start or the end of a song. Yeah, and usually it's the end of a song. So if you put your CD on shuffle, then you get the wrong introduction for the wrong song. And But you shouldn't put a live album on shuffle. You shouldn't put anything on shuffle, but that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let, 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 let's not go there. But um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the problem that I have with this album. I mean, there, there's really cool stuff on there and, and we're going to get to that pretty soon. But um, yeah, I, I think the whole concept of taking several... Of, of, of mixing up several live performances and more or less try to make it sound as one. And then, yeah, it does not really work for me. I, I just no. simply prefer to have a, a, a whole live show where everything, uh, yeah, where you can really hear 
uh, that everything sounds consistent. Yep. Yeah. Which isn't the case here, but uh, anyway, l- let's go to the to the music and check out some of the tracks that are uh, that are on from the muddy banks uh, of the Wiska. Oh, uh, w- one more thing: um, the title we haven't touched on that yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's where uh, it's where Kurt said he lived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Wiska is the is the river that flows uh, near um, Aberdeen, I think. Yeah, and there's that uh, famous bridge where Kurt said that he lived for a while, but uh, he actually didn't. No, because because there's muddy banks on the riverside, so you couldn't live there because the mud would flush you away. Yeah, I do think it makes for a nice title, though. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so after that um, introduction, a.k.a. Uh, sound check, um, we get to the first track, and uh, that's recorded in our beloved Amsterdam. Uh, it was recorded uh, during their... Um, show in uh, Paradiso in uh, 1991 and uh, let's check out just uh, a little part of school Yeah, I still think that one day they totally could release that um, concert uh, entirely because, well, this proved that they have a, a good recording of it. There was also a cameraman uh, on stage, so it was recorded for, for television. At one point, I think it was during Love Bus, Kurt tried to push the camera guy off stage by yes. with his guitar against the camera. It was pretty, uh, pretty intense. It was a very, well, at least in the Netherlands, uh, a very famous performance. Yeah, definitely. Because, well, Nirvana had just released Nevermind, um, Smells Like Teen Spirit was a massive hit and they were booked in not small venues, but relatively small venues. Way too small for the act that they had become uh, in, the, in the meantime. So, um, yeah, people were dying to get in, <laughs> basically. <laughs> also, just that same day, uh, they had a radio session that they totally screwed up, like an acoustic session that was just... Just horrible. horrible. (laughs) And they were totally tired and uninspired uh, and whatnot. And also a famous story about this show is that it almost didn't happen. Because the night before in Belgium, uh, a fan got hit by a piece of a guitar that was flying around when they were uh, smashing their uh, their gear. Late last year, there was an interview with the guy uh, who actually got hit that night on a Dutch television told the story that uh, first of all he got he got hit and then he was bleeding pretty heavily he was almost going like into a shock or something uh, everybody was really nice to him especially Courtney Love so for all you Courtney haters out there uh, <laughs> he told us that uh, uh, Courtney put his uh, coat around him and Dave said something like uh, please don't sue us <laughs> but when he got back from the hospital the band had already left and there was no arrangement so then he hired a lawyer and that lawyer that took possession of all of their gear for the next show. So they had to talk to him to get it released so they could do the, the Paradiso performance, which started late because of that reason. 
after that they made a, a, an arrangement, he actually stayed uh, to watch the show again. <laughs> wow. What, what I find weird about that story is that their gear would be taken into possession because that sounds incredibly like American law. Hmm. And if this was Belgium and the Netherlands, I don't see how you could actually do that because you need to know for sure what the problems are and how much money that will cost and, and whatever. So it sounds to me more as if he lawyered up and his lawyer threatened to take those things in possession rather than him actually being able to do so because I don't think you would be able to do so, not in Belgium or the Netherlands. So I think no, it was makes more sense. of a threat. Yeah. yeah, but he didn't correct that uh, when he was interviewed. No, but maybe he didn't know. Maybe his lawyer knew and just was just like, okay, yeah. we'll just send that to them. And stuff like that is more common in, in the USA. Um, <laughs> the band probably was like, oh my God, yeah. they can do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very, very well possible. Yeah. I mean, I didn't go to law school either, but... Uh, it does make sense uh, what you're saying. One more thing about the uh, Amsterdam show that Nirvana did in 91. It was the first time for some of Dave's uh, friends who uh, uh, to see him uh, perform with Nirvana. I think with an earlier band, probably Scream. I'm not entirely sure. They stayed uh, in Amsterdam for a while. He actually said that it was the f that he was in Amsterdam that uh, he first heard uh, Bleach. So it was the All first right. time that he heard uh, a Nirvana record. So later he became the drummer of Nirvana. They went on tour. He performed in Amsterdam and, and he invited some of his uh, friends uh, to come and see the show. And uh, <laughs> and afterwards they all said to him that um, they thought that he, he got a really, really easy job because he used to be in more like hardcore bands <laughs> from really, really hard and really, really fast. And this was more like, um, for, for them, this was uh, easy going. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good choice. <laughs> okay, um, so uh, shall we go to the next uh, track from uh, the Muddy Banks? And this is not yeah. literally the next track. We're not going to play all of the tracks from all of the live albums. Um, we just um, cherry-picked a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and here's one that was uh, on my list. Uh, it's the live recording of Milk It from uh, 1994 in uh, the Seattle Center Arena. The main reason why I selected this part is uh, because of the effect that they use on his voice on that first part that we just heard. It's not something they usually did. Maybe it was a bit of an experiment or maybe they thought, well, we're in a, like our next stage now. I mean, there were a lot of things different uh, during this tour, like more or less um, steady set list every night, having uh, Pat Smear as an extra guitar player, having the props on stage. So they were scaling up. And yep. maybe this was part of it. I don't know. But uh, I do think it, it fits the song. So it, uh, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, cool definitely. to throw that in. Next one is going back in time. This was 1994. And now we're going back to 1989 uh, from the same show that the intro is from. It's uh, one that you uh, 
requested. It's uh, the uh, electric live version uh, of Polly. compare this version with what later would become the official versions of it. To me, this this proves how important the tempo of a song can be for the song. Uh, because to me, in this faster version, with also a, a, a bit of a boring drum part in it, it's the, the repetitiveness of, of the chorus doesn't work um, because it sort of feels like it just drains on. But later on, when they started playing it slightly slower, it worked because then the repetitiveness is what makes it interesting. I've always found that really interesting to hear that difference, that just a slight change in tempo can can make such a big difference, I yeah. guess. But, but it's not just the tempo that's different. Of course. But I do agree that um, if you only had this version, you would think, yeah, it's a nice throw, throwaway song. Yeah, it's almost it's a bit like a lesser version of Being a Sun, something like that. Yeah, it's a good comparison. Later, they turned it into a acoustic song. It's yeah, it's, it's way better. And it's, uh, You're right in saying it's it's not just a tempo. It's also the way Kurt sings it here is not very inspired, shall we say. The meaning of the words, you don't hear that in his voice. That's also lacking, I guess. True. Maybe because Kurt also felt that he didn't have the right form for the song just yet yeah that there was something in there that could be better but he didn't really know how to approach it something like that but uh, yeah that could be yeah but i do think that it's a great addition to this album because it's again it's something different yeah yeah definitely something that we didn't know yet i mean if you have like the nevermind version of Polly and the um, unplugged in new york version there's not so much difference between the two of them this is something really different all in all how do you feel about uh, from the muddy banks uh as an album? I think there's some good stuff on there. I think it's mixed really well. But I find it hard to get over the fact that it's <laughs> not a real life show, but just pick a mix. Uh, I do think that it's a good one if you want to introduce somebody to Nirvana and just say, yep. oh, right, check out this. It does give a nice uh, impression of their career and their catalog and their, yeah, and the different sounds that they had on stage. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they really could sound very different from one show to the next, especially over uh, ex- expanded over uh, a couple of years, like uh, like on this compilation. So uh. yeah, and I think that was probably also the intention to just instead of doing several live albums, just having that one sort of definitive live album and just putting it out there and saying like, okay, you want to know what Nirvana Life sounded like? Well, this is what it was. Yeah, so, yeah, and maybe they didn't foresee that they would stay popular enough that there would be a demand enough to release several live um, albums afterwards so yeah maybe that was like the thought back in the day but later yeah some 
complete shows were released, uh, luckily for us, because otherwise this would have been a very short uh, episode of the Nirvana podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on uh, to the next one. Uh, now here we're going to temper with our own rules just a little bit because it's questionable whether or not this is an actual live album. It is an, uh, a live show. It's uh, Nirvana playing uh, in 1990 at uh, Portland, Oregon's Pine Street Theater. Uh, it was officially released, but not as an album. Basically, uh, all of the tracks were bonus tracks on the Bleach Anniversary Edition that came out um, in 2009. But uh, yeah, I think it's interesting enough to uh, to include it. I do think it's really weird that they didn't just put it on a separate disc when they released that uh, edition. Yeah, it really that's, puzzles that's me. really strange. Then they would have had room for some alternate versions that do exist. I mean, we have shared them on this podcast and if, if i can get my hands on that uh they can for sure but they <laughs> yeah. just yeah didn't bother I, I i guess to collect some demos or some rare no it's, it's again i think we've talked about this before how how weirdly sometimes they handle the back catalog and how random it sometimes feels and i totally agree agree in this case they could have done like a two-parter and and just have original album uh, outtakes and then a separate live CD and and a nice package and yeah it's sort of it's weird yeah or or maybe ask uh, Jack and Dino to um, revisit the material like yeah. they did with uh, In Utero because we know that he didn't have a lot of time to mix the songs and maybe now True. he would have had other equipment and he would have had more time. Um, maybe he would come up with a, with a new mix, something like that. And then, yeah, sure. Also uh, release this uh, show uh, along with it because I, I really like this recording. But uh, yeah, it's strange that they were just like hidden away as, as bonus tracks. But luckily uh, for our listeners, <laughs> we've dug them up and uh, here they are. And uh, uh, again, I'd like to uh, start with the introduction of the show. Is this more or less what you had in mind when you were talking about like a proper live introduction? Yeah, yeah. This is like, <laughs> now you get that exciting feeling of, oh yeah, there's a, there's a band coming on stage and uh, they're messing up, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I also like the fact that you can really hear that they aren't in a big arena or something no. like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I kind of like that. You can immediately hear when you turn this on from, oh, they're on a... Quite a small stage, probably. Yep. You don't hear a lot of crowd noise or anything cheering them on. And the way he is, he is like mentioning where they are. <laughs> it's almost sort of being the, the the sarcastic rock hero, being like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> hello there, Portland." Like it's <laughs> <laughs> he's doing that. Like, oh, I need to mention it because because that's what you do when you come on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that tone of voice. It's really cool. lots of jokes have been made about that about like artists saying like the wrong location or whatever, and and it makes no sense that that's sort of a rock and roll trope because we all know where we are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> probably the only person who might not know where he is 
is the guy on stage saying exactly. It. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what I really like about this, well, let's call it an album, um, is the fact that they uh, play obviously a lot of old material because the later material wasn't written yet. Some of the Bleach uh, songs, they get like a second chance for me. And I think uh, the best example is uh, is uh, Scuff, which I think sounds really, really good here. And it yeah. doesn't really come through on the album version. So um, here it is. I think it has a lot more energy and a lot more spunk in it um, this way. So, uh, yeah, it's, it still isn't like my favorite Nirvana song. But, um, yeah, I do appreciate this version a lot more than the studio version. You have that excitement that the studio version uh, is missing. Yeah. So that, that's uh, that's nice. Another um, Bleach song that you requested is about a girl. Do you want to say anything about it before we go and listen to it? Or should I just uh, hit the play no, button? No, just hit the play button. <laughs> It's the same kind of thing as with Polly, but in a further stage, I think. The, the, the Polly we just heard was like, okay, it's definitely not there yet. This version of About a Girl is like, oh yeah, ne- nearly, nearly there. <laughs> it's like, it's good, but it just lacks that little bit of something. Yeah, but still, this was after the studio recording had already been made and released. So Yeah, 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 definitely. But it's not working as well as... I think the studio recording is. It feels like they wanted to add something to it or do it a bit different live, but it didn't have like its its definitive form. They have the same problem with later live renditions of the song that they did? No, and that's why I find it interesting because it sort of, it feels like they had the song, then they played it live and it sort of didn't really click. And then later on when they came back to it, it works better for me. Yeah, again, it's it's a bit of the tempo that's sometimes a bit off here. And yeah, again, the drums are lacking, I feel. And and for some reason, you hear that better in this live recording than you hear it on the album, I think. So, yeah. And it was still um, Chad Channing behind the drums, right? Yeah, I think that's... Sorry, Chad, but <laughs> I think it is a, a, a big part of uh, of what's lacking for, for this song, at least for me. I actually should have said this when they were playing Polly. Um, part of what makes that song work, I think, is um, uh, Dave uh, singing the harmonies. Yeah. And yeah. you don't have that uh, on the live version. True. Yeah. 
Okay, so uh, let's go uh, to, uh, to the last one from the Pine Street uh, Theater uh, show, and it's uh, Blue. Um, uh, this is the opening song of Bleach, but they pretty much always use it as a closure song uh, during their live shows. Yeah. And I think it works in both ways, so that's, that's funny. Now you can hear some of the crowd response. <laughs> A lot more than when they uh, entered the stage. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You feel that exhilaration of, of a great live show at that end. And I, I totally agree with you that this song works as, as the opening of, of the album, but is also perfect as an end to a show because you sort of, you feel that adrenaline and just being there in the audience and, and, and leaving with that whole feeling of I've seen something amazing and I, I wish you could hear more songs. So. Yeah, it's always good to have a crowd more excited at the end of the show compared to the, to the beginning. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But, yeah. but still you can hear that it's not that many people. I mean, no. just a year, a year later, it would be a total different situation yeah, this is for them. Cool. Listen to this, you can sort of. I'm trying to imagine like the people in that room and how how many they are, and it's it's not no. a lot. I don't know how many fit in that. No, me neither. The weird thing is that um, the Bleach uh, Deluxe Edition with this uh, live recording uh, on it uh, was released on uh, November 3rd, 2009. The exact same day, another Nirvana live album was released. Uh, their uh, famous uh, Reading show from 1992. And yeah, w that's just strange that they released two albums on the same day. It makes no sense. We're checking that earlier and the Bleach one is is the date that the Bleach album originally was released. So that makes sense to have yes. that date. Yeah, the live show, uh, not so much because that was in the summer, different year. Maybe they wanted to celebrate that as well. Yeah, <laughs> and, and they were released by different labels, so that maybe has, has something to do with it. I, I don't really know how stuff like that uh, works. Uh, but anyway, um, the uh, Reading um, show got released uh, almost uh, in its entirety. Uh, they left yeah. off one song and some of the more interesting uh, stuff from in between songs. Um, we have already um, discussed that when we were doing a podcast about the, that live show and the live shows that they did in uh, South America. Then we more or less ignored the officially released uh, stuff. So <laughs> we can still uh, discuss it now. Starting with uh, Lithium. And I uh, put that one on the list because in the liner notes of from the Muddy Banks of the Wiska, uh, Chris actually mentions that moment mm -hmm. and how good it was to hear everybody sing along with the theme at the Reading performance. But then right. he didn't put that version on the album. <laughs> That's really strange because he did put a Tourette's on it from that exact same show. So yeah. 
he had access to those tapes. He knew they were there, but yeah, he just decided not to put that version of Lithium on the <laughs> album, but did mention it in the liner notes. I thought it was a bit strange. Maybe it was on the the original sort of set list for the for the CD, and there for some reason it it got taken off, and he forgot to rewrite the liner notes. Yeah, could happen. Yeah, yeah, possible. But uh, but anyway, uh, let's uh, check out uh, Lithium Live at Reading in 1992. I really love how you can hear that everybody is into it and you can hear that a lot of people are there and are singing along yeah. with it. And I think a lot of people that actually witnessed the show thought it was like the one of the highlights of it. Yeah, yeah. I can imagine, like you said, you, you can hear the exhilaration. It's a nice difference with what we were listening to before, having like yeah. that really small audience being being yeah. happy with the show and now having this monster audience just wow it's so amazing what i also find funny is is something you hear often in live shows is that people recognize a song and they start singing along to it and then like after a while they don't know the lyrics anymore <laughs> so usually like the first verse and the chorus are really enthusiastic and then they get to the second verse and you hear like half of the audience doesn't know anymore what the <laughs> lyrics are <laughs> but then the chorus kicks in again and everybody's like oh yeah i know this one As, especially with this chorus i mean exactly no matter it's... how drunk or excited or whatever <laughs> you are you can scream yeah 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 i mean that's exactly it's yeah. the perfect stadium filler <laughs> yeah yeah sure uh let's go to another uh, stadium filler Didn't know anymore how to play it. <laughs> <laughs> he must. But what I what I love about this is that he starts out wrong, and then it's just like, oh fuck it, I'll keep messing it up because they've heard already. So that was like their way to go. I mean, if they make a mess out of it, make a bigger mess. Yeah, Don't exactly. And I think it, that, that they they did it in the, the same show in in Sliver as well, where where they met, mess up and it just. They run with it. I love that because especially with songs like that, that that your audience knows the song, so they hear it and who cares? Like you're all <laughs> you're all just human beings. You can mess up and just yeah. Yeah, and, and Nirvana was never about playing their songs perfectly. No, no, not, exactly. Not, not even in the studio, I think. I mean they knew what they were doing, but yeah. There there was always room to mess things up or have like 
happy accidents or do whatever Kurt wanted to do at the moment during this performance of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit. You can also hear it uh, in the solo. I mean, he doesn't even bother trying to to play the actual solo, but just uh, comes up with this. And I do think that that's what makes a live album special. Yep. That it's something definitely. different and that something can be spontaneous. And uh, yeah, so uh, I, I kind of like it. Yep, me too. Definitely. So we have one more track from uh, the Reading show uh, that we both put on the list because we made it through 28 episodes of the Nirvana podcast. There's still a song left that we've never played or discussed yeah. before. And it's this one. It's um, their version of uh, the Fangs, The Money Will Roll Right In. Did you know the uh, original version before you knew this one? I've heard different, uh, what turned out to be covers of it as well, because I think a lot of artists have, have done this song <laughs> one time or another. Actually, I never, because I had to look it up, um, I never heard of Fang before. Um, <laughs> I didn't know who they were. Sorry about that if you're listening fan fans or fang members so no i i didn't know them i don't know if you, did you ever did you ever hear about this band or <laughs> no i had to look it up especially for this podcast if there are people uh, out there listening uh, who are uh, the same as us uh, don't bother i've got it right here the original version Yeah, that sounds uh, as uh, punk rock uh, as you can get, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. And um, if you didn't know the song, in this version, you could actually hear what the lyrics are. I mean, in Kurt's version, you can't really, really make them out. And I think the lyrics um, prove why Nirvana and many other bands have uh, have covered this song one, one moment or another, because it's basically a sort of spoof of... of becoming really successful and earning a lot of money and also doing something with Brooke Shields. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if Brooke Shields was already of legal age by the time this money, uh, this uh, this song was uh, written, but <laughs> yeah. she is now. So, 
<laughs> so, so, so we are free to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like you said, um, there were many bands that covered this song. Uh, one of those bands uh, was Mudhoney. Um, they played this song later that same year, 1992. And they had a, a special friend um, joining them on stage to play the guitar. And it was Kurt Cobain. So uh, I thought it would be nice to check out Mudhoney featuring Kurt uh, playing the same song. Yeah, you can actually uh, see them um, play this song uh, on YouTube. Kurt's uh, standing in the back wearing his pajamas, playing a guitar that he apparently borrowed from some of the guys from Sonic Youth. Yeah, and I think he said that uh, this was one of his favorite songs to play live, or at least uh, at that moment it was. So, uh. Yeah, I, I like that Madhoney version. It's, uh, they have the nice punk touch and they make it a bit more interesting than the original, I think. Yeah. So uh, to close off the discussion about the Reading Live album, how do you like it as a whole? It may not be the best album, best live performance ever, but I think it's it's one of the most important live releases to have because it captures the essence of Nirvana at that moment, uh, also with with mistakes and all and having that audience and that that live feel to it i think it's it's a really important uh, important release to have yeah yeah that's a that's a good point i think it's more like an important document yeah something that i do enjoy than that it's like a great recording because the audio quality isn't that good probably due to the fact that they played it in the open air it's always hard to to capture that uh, and also that they didn't plan on recording it and releasing it someday, I, I guess. No, no not I quite think so. sure. It's a, yeah, it, it doesn't sound that great all of the time. But then again, the the energy and like you said, uh, the roaring crowd, the spontaneous stuff that happens that that does make it like a really really cool release. So uh, I'm I'm very glad that they did release it. Yep, definitely. It was very popular already as a bootleg, I think. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. They totally deserve uh, to make some money from it. It also looks really nice in the release. I have it on, yep. uh, on vinyl. It's uh, the artwork and everything uh, is uh, pretty well done. And and there is a DVD, so uh, that's also a uh, good. And if you if you miss the uh, the in between banter on the on the CD, <laughs> just look at the at the DVD release and then you see uh, you see everything that's happening in between. And there's some really cool stuff happening. Yep. So on to the next one, uh, which is the album uh, Live at the Paramount, uh, recorded in the Paramount Theater in Seattle on October 31st, 1991. This was first released as like a bonus disc when the Nevermind um, anniversary edition came out, I think. Yep. And then yep. later it also became like a standalone release. So if you're a really big fan, uh, you have to pay, you have to buy it twice. Uh, <laughs> but if you're not such a big fan but do like it, um, you can just 
skip the anniversary edition of Nevermind, stick to your old copy of it, and then also pick up uh, this one. Uh, I, th- I think it's really interesting that this was like their homecoming show in a way. Yeah. Because they had released Nevermind, then they went on tour, they went uh, to Europe. Uh, and while they were abroad, um, back home and also globally, they be- they became like big superstars. But they were still playing those quite small venues. Uh, and this is when they got back and played their more or less uh, hometown uh, Seattle. Uh, I, th- I think there were some weird things going on around this show. Um, they played together with uh, Mud Honey that we just uh, heard and uh, Bikini Kill. They first were supposed to play a smaller venue, but then they had to move to a bigger one uh, because there yeah. was so much uh, uh, demand for tickets because of uh, Nirvana's newfound popularity, of course. But I also think that some people were a bit negative about it. I mean... Some people in Seattle and from, quote-unquote, the scene thought that Nirvana had sold out and they didn't really like what was going on in the music industry and around their little underground scene, I I, I suppose. And uh, there were some negative feelings towards Nirvana, I I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, I think we talked about that before, how grunge all of a sudden became a big thing and all of the journalists went to Seattle and... (laughs) <laughs> sort <Yeah>. of <laughs> tried to find uh, everything that had to do with uh, with Nirvana and uh, that became bigger and bigger and I can uh, I can imagine how that uh, must have felt to some uh, fans who were there from the start. Yeah, so it wasn't like a big celebration of oh Nirvana is back. No. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, somebody who had some yeah harsh words to say about it was uh, Charles Peterson who um made a lot of uh, photographs from pretty much all of the Seattle bands uh, of that of that time. Um, he said about this show, this is the beginning of the end. It was so unfair uh, to their home audience because it uh, stilted the performance, it reeked of money. And by that he was referring to the fact that the show was recorded, there were people with cameras on stage. Uh, I think he said that the band didn't even know about it, but, you know, there was some negativity uh, surrounding it. Which is a shame. But to cheer things up, um, Gert had uh, invited uh, two guys, two friends of his, uh, to uh, come on stage and and dance. <laughs> I think like pretty much all of the show, they uh, they were just on stage dancing. <laughs> so yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> yeah, uh, and they started the show with uh, an electric version of "Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam." was a bit of an odd choice uh, I would say I, I know they did it more often but it's kind of strange to start your show with a obscure cover <laughs> yeah exactly because by the time that they were playing this that wasn't like a really well-known song not at all anyway no to us now it's it's a well-known Nirvana song but not in 1991 <laughs> <laughs> no 
No, no, it, it was still very much a Vaseline song or a Christian yeah. traditional song. But uh, nobody knew the Vaselines anyway. So yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> they did know Jesus. <laughs> yeah, probably heard yeah. of the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe they wanted to start this show with that, you know, to win back some credibility. Yeah, could be. Not have it like, oh, gonna show everybody in Seattle that we're a big successful rock band now who has like a really steady live show and opens with a big hit so everybody goes crazy something like that could yeah, be yeah and i really like this version as well so yeah me too but i do prefer the unplugged version i must say yeah i agree i like sort of the the the, the rough edges on this one and i like the drums on this one because that's obviously a lot different from um from the unplugged version um and it gives it uh, just a bit more uh yeah, a bit more body, I'd say. Yeah, true that. And also, it's again, it's just nice that we have two very different versions of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm always in favor of that. Yeah, me too. Okay, so the second song from the Paramount show is Drain You. is always awesome as a live version but i <laughs> i just like this random rock and rolly thing of of counting all of a sudden <laughs> it's just like <laughs> what what's what's happening here are they like i mean you're just saying like oh they started jesus doesn't want me for a sunbeam as as a sort of uh like oh no we're still uh weird and edgy nirvana and then <laughs> then they continue with a break and then Kurt as some sort of band leader, or maybe it wasn't even Kurt. No, it wasn't. It wasn't Kurt. I I, I looked it up. Whoever <laughs> Dave and probably just counts them into to continuing, and and that's sort of you never hear them do that. It always strikes me as like, what's happening here? Are they like, what 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 kind of band have they become all of a sudden? <laughs> just not very Nirvana like to me. No, no, it's very well. Maybe it was like an ode to the Ramones. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like a that. A lot of the songs were just an... one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another band yeah. who does that a lot is Green Day, I think. Yep. Especially during their live shows. Billy Joe uh, Armstrong, their singer, does stuff like, uh, on the count of three, everybody goes crazy. <laughs> exactly, one, yeah. two, three. Pretty sure it was Dave uh, shouting. So uh, Yeah. And yeah, it makes Dave sense because I. Yeah, usually you would have the well, either the singer or the drummer just yeah <laughs> doing that. Yeah, and it's weird that well we talked about the drain you scream uh, before, and that some people actually make like have a favorite drain you scream, and yep. then here they didn't do it, and also um, drain you from the version that's on uh, from the Muddy Banks of the Whisker also does not have a scream in it. No, that's that true. Yeah, I never realized that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We actually got wow. an email from that. Now I get to think about it a couple of months ago, I think even, that somebody said, yeah, this used to be my favorite version. And thanks to you guys, I know about the fact that the Drain You Scream is a thing amongst some Nirvana <laughs> fans. And 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know why sometimes Kurt didn't. I just guess he didn't I, feel like doing it, something like that. Exactly. was too busy yeah. um, <laughs> fooling around <laughs> with his guitar or something like that. Yeah, or maybe it was like Dave said, like, for this performance, I want to count, so don't <laughs> scream. <laughs> Give me my moment. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, next one is uh, uh, Rape Me. Um, uh, let's uh, listen to how uh, Kurt introduces that song. This song is about hairy, sweaty, macho, redneck men who rape. And again, just like with Polly, we catch uh, a song in its like early in an early stage. In this case, compared to Polly, I think this is much better. I really like this version. I must say, you you can hear they're still working on it, but it has an intensity that's that's really interesting. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> you don't agree? Well, it still isn't my favorite song. And no, of course. Yeah. Slowing it down doesn't really help it. I don't know. No, no, I don't think it's any better than the studio version. Yeah, the the tempo I agree doesn't really work, but I like the intro, the, the way the intro is done here with with the guitar, and then then much quieter than the eventual version, and then the drums coming in quite hard. I think that balance is is quite interesting. I, yeah, I, I I like this version. I don't like it better than definitive version but i think it's it's really interesting yeah uh, and that that intro is is awesome by <laughs> yeah that whole audience yeah and then <laughs> and he rape. says who who rape and and then you <laughs> hear people like oh uh, okay, okay <laughs> it just dies down <laughs> although it's also i mean we're talking a lot about live experiences in general but this is also one of those moments where He's already saying, like, it's about sweaty redneck guys. And the audience is just like, yay! Because for some reason, often when you have introductions like that and you're in the audience, like, half of it, you can't even make out what they're saying. So it's just like when when somebody starts saying this song, then everybody just goes, yay! And you <laughs> don't really know why, but he's talking. So let's... <laughs> yeah, cheer <Yeah>. him on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Actually, I had this song uh, on my list as well, but uh, but a different part, because it's something that doesn't really show up in the um, definitive uh, version. So I wanted to uh, throw that in, uh, throw that in as well. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, I thought it was a nice um, variation of the song. They yeah, yeah, I, I, I like it. But I get why they skipped that when they recorded it, because it's already a lot like Teen Spirit. <laughs> yeah, true that. But yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, again, how do you like this live recording, live at the Paramount? Yeah, I like this one. This is this is one that I listen to more often. Again, it's not perfect. I think to me that that uh, Pine Street Theater one is is the most perfect one, like in its entirety. But this yeah. one is is pretty close. I think it gives a nice insight again in the band, and also the the recording quality is quite good. So um, yeah. Yeah, totally agree. So maybe um, the guys recording it were more or less ruining the experience for the audience, uh, but they did provide us with a really good quality of, uh, yeah. of recording. So um, yeah, that's worth something as well, uh, I suppose. So we're going to move on to our last uh, live album by Nirvana, uh, which was also very professionally recorded. It's a, a live and loud show that they did for uh, MTV on uh, December the 13th. Uh, in uh, 1993 at a venue called Pier 48 in Seattle again. So we're staying in Seattle. Yeah, this was the only one that was actually completely meant to be recorded, right? This was set up by MTV because they wanted to broadcast uh, the performance um, on, uh, I think, on New Year's Eve. Yep. So uh, like three weeks later. And because it was an MTV show, we have like a really, really good recording of it. And it's very, very clear by now that they are a bigger live act, uh, doing things more professionally or at least trying to do so. Sometimes maybe struggling with it, but uh, yeah, I, I, I do think it's very, uh, very interesting. I want to start with the song that they always started those live shows with, uh, which is a radio-friendly uh, unit shifter, but not the version that's on this album but the version that's on the DVD because um, there's some bonus stuff on there and this is from a rehearsal.
Yeah, I think you can even in rehearsal already hear that they sound a lot bigger. Yeah. Especially because they have a added a second guitar player, of course. Uh, and I also think, and I also think it's very cool that you can hear and if you look at the footage, you can also see that Dave goes all out, even though it's a yeah. rehearsal. He doesn't hold back for anything. Especially uh, during the end of the song, he's just pounding the drums like a madman. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I, I think it, it, you were just mentioning like the professional recording because it was for MTV. You can already hear it here in, in the quality, um, even even if it's like rehearsal. It just it goes directly into the into the mixing table and, and it's, yeah, it's, the sound is like, crispy clean which is amazing for sure um i also think it's funny that kurt asks uh, is god ready i think he asked like the exact same thing in the exact same way during the rehearsals of the mtv unplugged session yep exactly the same it's it's yeah it's it's yeah it's just a tiny totally insignificant detail but still it's uh, it's funny to notice i think now we already uh, checked out an electric version of a song that they that would become famous from their uh, acoustic uh, session. Um, here's another example of that, them playing uh, The Man Who Sold the World. This is a David Bowie song. This version is a bit closer to the um, unplugged version, I suppose. I find it interesting that, um, like from from the moment they started playing this song, that they do already have their own version. I mean, we we compared it before with the original Bowie version, and and they never played it like Bowie did. He they 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 played their own. They had have their own little timings and accents that are different uh, already here, which I always find interesting. Yeah. And also, I never got why Kurt says it's it's a Bowie song. <laughs> he introduces it. This is a David Bowie song. It's like, okay, some people call him Bowie, but Bowie is like... <laughs> and later on, like in Unplugged, he never says that. So I'm not sure is like, is he joking or... I think he what, is. What? Probably, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weird joke. It is a weird joke, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it it almost feels like he's disrespecting him a bit, mocking him, yeah. maybe. Like, yeah. I know this is a lame artist to cover a, a song from, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sort like of, that. yeah. Or maybe they had, like, a discussion before 
about whether he's called Bowie or Bowie, because that's a well-known discussion, and <laughs> Kurt just got sick of it and thought, like, I'll, I'll just say something entirely different, so I know it's it's wrong anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I think, um, yeah, it's just lucky that he didn't say, this song is by David Bowie, who rapes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that yeah. would have been uh, a lot worse, so... Uh, but by the way, um, I'm very really happy that we have another version of it, but I still prefer the unplugged version. I prefer the unplugged version. But it says more about the unplugged version and the quality of that than about this version, because it's really uh, excellent as well. So let's go to the last song of uh, this podcast and the last uh, song also on the Live and Loud album, which I don't think I mentioned yet, uh, was also uh, both released uh, as part of the uh, Utero Anniversary Deluxe Edition or yep. Super Deluxe, I don't know, uh, but also came out as a standalone uh, thing, both on DVD and uh, CD. And you can find it on streaming services and uh, whatnot. Anyway, so that the last song is uh, Endless Nameless. goes on for quite a while <laughs> the track is over 13 minutes long so yeah. we didn't start at the beginning what you just heard that was uh, somewhere in the middle like a strange breakdown section mm-hmm. yeah I, I this is I yeah you have uh, <laughs> endless nameless and then you have Endless, endless, nameless, and I think this is uh, <laughs> exactly that. Um, and I think what I find interesting about this version, apart from that it's so long, um, is I, they did this often, and, and you can hear it on a couple of live albums and bootlegs and whatever. But there's two things I find interesting, especially about this one. The first is just the quality, because on the one hand, it's just a lot of sound mess, yeah, but like it's right really now. tight. Like the sound is is totally in, in, in control, which which I find really interesting. And the other thing is that, like you mentioned, this is like an MTV show recorded by MTV is supposed to, to go out on New Year's Eve and whatever. And they decide to do this for like 13 <laughs> minutes. And I think that's awesome because it's like, yeah, this is also what we do. We do this in our live shows. It's on the album, uh, deal with it. 
which yeah. I uh, which I yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, Kurt had a love hate relationship with MTV. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't an accident that they played a really long, no. loud jam like this at the end. Maybe thought, well, if you want to cut it, cut it out, cut it out, do whatever exactly. you want. But we're gonna yep. play it anyway. And uh, also, if you look at the footage, this is the part where Kurt pulls some people on stage, and then yep. he sort of mockingly applauds the, the crowd. Yeah. There's quite a lot of emotion going on, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> I don't know if it's from the DVD or not, but I've seen on YouTube some uh, images of him walking off stage and uh, going backstage. And he was yeah. followed there. Yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's on the DVD. I no, think I so. I don't think so either. There's some extra stuff that's not on the DVD, but still yeah. got out somehow. You never know how things can, uh, can leak, but... Uh, and I think by now... <laughs> In the audio, we're at the part almost where he just leaves his guitar against an amplifier. So it yep. keeps on creating feedback. And he just walks off. Yeah, I think uh, that, that that's about enough. I mean, we still have like two minutes remaining, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> all in all, how do you like... Um, Live and loud? Yeah, like we said, the sound quality is awesome. I think it's, let's say, historically interesting. It's not my favorite album, per se. What about you? I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I do like it a lot. I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, that's not the real Nirvana, and their their heart wasn't in it anymore, and they became too professional and too slick and whatever, but they sound amazing. They yeah. sound really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that it's been recorded this way, and... Uh, I get to enjoy it and it's may maybe not the most popular opinion, but uh, I really like it. And I also really like a lot of the uh, stuff that's on In Utero and that's of course very well uh, represented here. So yeah, yeah. I, I do think it's, uh, it's great and it's uh, cool that we've got like a real Bleach era release, uh, um, two Nevermind era release, but two very different ones and yeah. also an In Utero era release. So uh, I'm not sure if if there's a, like a strategy behind it, but I do think that it works out really well. We got really different albums, and uh, yeah, I agree. I hadn't thought about it like that, but having those different eras well represented and having like a nice combination of what they did, it maybe makes the Muddy Banks of Wishka um, obsolete because, like you said at the beginning, they released that not knowing if there would ever be other releases. Over the years, there's been all of these separate releases that are pretty good. So I guess by now you can just have that overview with all the different ones and you don't really need the Muddy Banks of Wishka anymore. And unless you, you are a uh, a new Nirvana fan and, and want to get into that. That sums it up just great. And I'm guessing that we're going to get some more Nirvana live releases in future. I mean, why, why sure. wouldn't they do it? There's an audience for it. Exactly. We know they have the, the tape. So uh, yeah, sooner or yeah. later, I'm convinced that they were going to come up with another release. Maybe they're just waiting for the right uh, opportunity. Maybe there's legal reasons why we haven't heard from them in quite a while. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'm confident that more stuff will uh, will show up. 
Yeah. So uh, I think we should uh, wrap up this podcast. So uh, let's uh, cut to the chase. Uh, I just want to say a thank you for um, being back on the podcast and uh, doing this with me again. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me uh, once again on the podcast. As always, uh, we want to thank uh, Joop Hulligi, Mr. Yes. Nirvana Piano, playing our theme music. And of course, we want to thank everybody out there listening. If you have anything to say to us, please send us an email and you can send it to surewordpodcast at gmail.com. That's surewordpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out our Facebook page on facebook.com slash nirvanapodcast. Uh, sometimes we post some extra stuff on there like YouTube videos or images or, or whatnot. Uh, but it's also a convenient way to send us a message. And uh, we promise we'll send something back. For now, thanks a lot for listening. And until next time, bye. Bye.